listen to Panic. And then when uh, Death of the Bachelor came out in like what four or five years ago, I was all the way in, and I went back yeah. and I listened to some old Panic, and I'm like, holy shit, these guys were good. Um, still not quite my taste, but like everything he's done after Death of the Bachelor, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm fucking 100 in on. See, I'm the opposite. I really I don't fuck with any of the new stuff. Really, See, I, I don't know. Maybe I it's just I. To me, I it's went downhill, but fair enough. I appreciate his vocal yeah. growth. I don't necessarily yeah, yeah, love yeah. the songs. I think he's a much better For vocalist sure. now than he was on this album. For sure. What is up, off the beaten cleft family? I'm Cody Garrett once again with my pals. We are talking today about a fever you can't sweat out. The debut album from Panic at the Disco. Yeah, buddy. So let's get into it. All right, boys, we're here. It's January. We're in the depths of the first day of snow. I'm really, really excited to deep dive into some emo shit for the month yes. of January. And who else to come on than our country music friend, Cody Garrett? Yeah, there's nobody better. <laughs> no one that knows more about emo than I think. I think you're selling yourself short a little bit, Cody. I think if people have listened to all the episodes you've been on, they know that your music taste is is wide and varied. So I think it's more than appropriate to have you on for this episode. Yeah, I think I found kind of a niche um, just just by growing up, like listening to country on my dad's side and then, you know, listening to everything else on my mom's side. It was just kind of, I don't know, when I learned guitar, when I learned how to play guitar, that's just what I got started into playing was was country music and stuff and it was just easy and it came easy to me so um yeah i think that's why i kind of fall in that category but yeah my my taste is my my palate is all over the place nobody puts cody in a box god damn it yeah and yeah i don't i don't want to be in a box or or a corner with baby no you won't you'll never be there with us um yeah the whole reason we're doing this is because we wanted our friends to show us some emo albums and we've got Cody here who picked A Fever You Can't Sweat Out by Panic at the Disco. And before we, we get into all our stuff, I just kind of want to know what made you pick this and what's your relationship with this album? Man, you asked me, like, what emo album. And this was the first one that came to mind. And I was like, man, it's I don't want it to be too basic. Like, it's Panic at the Disco. Like, they're kind of steerheading it a little bit and, and kind of they kind of led the way and they're still relevant now but uh man the album is just it's great it, it stuck with me forever it was like i remember the first time i had it was it was like the limewire era and yep. um you know i write sins came out and it was huge still a big song and i remember getting it i think i accidentally so i would i would download you know you would go through the you would like double click the LimeWire tracks or whatever, and it would download and you would just like drag it over to iTunes is what I do on like my first gen iPod that <laughs> like the screen was just like, uh, it was just like an analog screen. Like it was so weird. 
um, like looking back at pictures of those, but I would just drag it over to iTunes and it would automatically be on my, my iPod once I plugged it into the computer. And I'm pretty sure how I got this album was I accidentally downloaded like a zip file because I write sins was out. And then I think the next single was, um, was lying. I think so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to add those on. And then it happened to be the whole album. And I was like, Oh, I guess I'll, I guess I'm a panic fan now. Let's just listen to the album. And I was blown away. Like there's, we could get more into it. I think there's one skip on this album and it goes hand in hand. It might be the one that Kevin hates. <laughs> We're not sure yet, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I love this album front to back still, even with the one song that's iffy with me, but, uh, but yeah, this one really resonates with me. It's, it's one of my favorites ever. It's, uh, it's fun to put on. It's, uh, Brennan Yuri brings like a, just a cool kind of hip pop punk kind of emo, this to it that's that's kind of different than the way a lot of other people do it yeah i think it was more like he's not dressing dark he's dressing like a fucking cirque de soleil uh yeah like carnival character like a like a greaser yeah in the circus i don't know they were still playing up like the darkness angle though a little bit it was like this is a haunted circus essentially right uh, which again at the time like this when when did this album come out what month 2005 uh, september 2005 september okay, yeah. so i was i was a freshman in college at that point and i remember like uh fallout boy was like this was like the the year of emo albums like 2004 2005 like it was it was all over the fucking place and i was so fucking tired of it and i saw like this video and i was like fuck these guys like this is weak shit I just wasn't into it, and like I was just so tired of it. My roommate in college was a huge emo fan at the time, and so I just skipped over it. So, um, but I think looking back on it, that was silly because I kind of dig the vibe of it, and uh, I think it's it's very much in the vein of the kind of goofy stuff that I like in metal, where if you don't take it too seriously, it's a lot of fun. I think where I still fall off a little bit is I think they were taking themselves really seriously in this phase of their career. Um, which th- throws me off a little bit because like <laughs> you're, you're dressing like a fucking circus guy, like to have some fun with it. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I think I, I'll mirror everything you guys said. I really like this album. There's one song really like two, two ish songs that really pissed me off. They happen back to back. Um, but it's really the one that starts it that really I just and again I like the song it just pisses me off because of what it's doing in the the structure of the album, and um, but yeah I, I I'm I was pleasantly surprised by how much I really like this album even you know almost twenty years on at this point. Yeah, that, this is an album that I've rediscovered. It's eighteen years old now, nine, almost nineteen years old, and I've re- I've rediscovered it a couple times in my life, and I remember. Everyone remembers when it came out and how big it was, but there was just so much music. You know, you you listen to it, you get really into it, and the next thing you know, your other favorite band has a new album. And like you're I just felt like back then it was just like it kept moving, you know. And I still feel that way now, but I remember back in maybe twenty twelve or thirteen, I was working at Under Armour with one of my my really good buddies, Daniel, who shows me a lot of music. Um he was like, how into Panic at the Disco are you? And I was like, I'd say like medium. Like I, I haven't thought about him in a long time, probably close to 10 years now. And he's like, let me burn you 
this CD and Vices and Virtues and just listen to them back to back. And it's like two of the best albums you ever listen to back to back. And I was like, I'm excited. Let's do it. So he's, I went home and I listened to this and Vices and Virtues like nonstop for maybe a month. And I was just like, I was so into it because I, I think if you listen to Vices and Virtues right after this, it's like all the things that you like about this album, a little more refined into Vices and Virtues. And the, the main critiques I have are something that has only to do with this Panic album, which is like too much going on lyrically. You know, like Brendan Urie is too good of a singer to be reading Shakespeare. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's a minor critique for something that will be explained kind of later on uh, when I get into the facts. But I just wanted to shout out Daniel because he really reignited my love for a band. And like, it's easy to think about all that music in 2005 and be like, it's emo shit. You know, like I wrote it off because I listened to it in junior high. But some of that stuff really did break the ground and, and change the way music went moving forward. This was this some of this songs were on the radio, man. Like this this is radio music somehow. Yeah. Um okay. Yeah, I remember some of the, like the you know, lying in the the songs that are you know, that talk about prostitution and strip clubs and stuff. Like those did make the radio a little a little bit. Crazy. Um, I don't I'm not sure I'm I don't think they went number one, but but yeah, I mean they were they were good enough to be on the radio, and yeah, that's just how it was then. Wild. I think I think when you think about it too, because when you guys are talking about, especially when you said prostitution, like Sublime's "Wrong Way" was huge on the radio. Like yeah. that's about a like a fifteen year old prostitute. <laughs> how he tries to save her, and how her dad and brothers would always like try to get with her and shit. Like it's a fucked up song. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it got massive radio play. Uh, not massive, but it was it was it was it wasn't not played you know what i mean um so i think if a song is good enough it's gonna get radio play um and now with satellite radio like i don't know who listens to conventional radio that much anymore but um you can do whatever you want on satellite radio, yeah that's so. true um okay Dylan, i gotta ask real quick yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. you said like you said the vices and virtues album you thought it was like a good you know more refined fever you can't sweat out do you I think that with Pretty Odd, the album previously to that, like I think that is like, I think it's another great Panic album, but it's I think it's a more refined. Like I feel like that would be like a great middle ground for you. Like, do you like that album yeah. as well? Or I I don't remember any it? songs besides Nine in the Afternoon from it specifically, yeah. but I remember listening to it and all my friends being like, "It's a Beatles ripoff." So like anytime I listen to it, I'm like, ugh, it's a Beatles rip. Yeah, I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew that album too. Yeah, that was kind of that kind of got some flame to it. Uh, Yeah, it was a little Beatlesque. The Green, what was I I hear it every time during like St. Patrick's Day? They play it at bars. The Green, uh, the Green, that Green Gentleman. Yes, Um, yeah, I love that song. Um, But yeah, I I can kind of see it like Beatlesque. I don't know if it's something they tried doing but i'm gonna it's i'm gonna give it another shot i think I, I think there's some credence to it because it's not the last yeah. time we're going to talk about these guys ripping off the beatles today so. <laughs> well um who doesn't rip off the beatles now that's fair but this is blatant and it pissed me off <laughs> i'm excited um you guys ready to hear some mother flipping facts about panic at the disco let's, yes let's do it i did some hard research on wikipedia and i found that 
A Fever You Can't Sweat Out is the debut studio album from American pop punk band Panic at the Disco, produced by Matt Squire, who produced all emo records that you ever cared about. The album was released on September 27, 2005 through Decadence and Fueled by Ramen. The group formed in Las Vegas in 2004 and began posting demos online, which caught the attention of Fallout Boy bassist Pete Wentz. Pete Wentz signed the group to his own imprint label, Decadence, uh, without having ever without them ever performing live. It's the only studio album released uh, during original bassist Brett Wilson's time in the band, but the exact nature of his involvement in the writing and recording process became a source of contention upon his dismissal from the group in mid-2006. You can pretty much say that with almost any Panic release. There's always people leaving. That's why Brendan was the... It was a solo project as it like limped its way towards the end when they finally admitted they were done as Panic last year. Um, the album was recorded on a small budget at SOMD Studios in College Park, Maryland, over several weeks in June 2005. The group had only graduated from high school one month beforehand. With lyrics written by lead guitarist and backing vocalist Ryan Ross, the album is divided into halves stylistically. The first half is primarily pop-punk with elements of electronic music, with the second half employs more traditional instrumentation and influences of Baroque pop. Which is, I gotta say, this this does something that albums rarely do, and it's it kind of falters in the beginning, and around the time lying and intermission come around, it just like flips the switch for me. Um, the band was formed in 2004 at this time named Pet Salamander. Thank God they got rid of that. Um, in the suburban area of Summerlin, Las Vegas, by childhood friends Ryan Ross and Spencer uh, uh, Spencer Smith. Both teens attended Bishop Gorman High School, and they began playing music together in ninth grade. They invited their friend Brent Wilson from nearby um, high school to join on bass guitar, and Wilson invited his classmate Brendan Urie out on guitar. They soon began rehearsing in Smith's grandmother's living room, and I... Uh, uh, Brendan Urie grew up in a Mormon family in Las Vegas and early on skipped rehearsals to go to church. Hard to imagine that now. Uh, Ross initially was the lead vocalist for the group, but on uh, hearing Urie's uh, singing background vocals during early rehearsals, they unanimously decided to move him to lead. What a decision, even in high school. Yeah. Uh, they initially worked purely as a Blink-182 cover band, which I would love to see some footage of. I would love to as well. Their um, monotonous nature of local Las Vegas bands influenced them to be different and creative, and they soon began recording experimental demos. Ross and Yuri soon began to record on their laptops the demos they had been developing and posted three early demos to Time to Dance, Nails for Breakfast, Tax for Snacks, and Camisado on pure volume. On a whim, they sent a link to Fall Out Boy bassist Pete Wentz via a live journal account, and around that time, they changed the name to Panic at the Disco. Wentz, who was in Las Vegas at the time, with the rest of Fall Out Boy working on their major label album, From Under the Cork Tree. Anybody heard of it? <laughs> uh, they drove to Las Vegas to meet the band. Upon hearing uh, two to three songs from band practice, Wentz was impressed and immediately wanted to sign the band. Um which made them the first on his record label, Decadence. And the group signed in 2004. Around this time, they put an exclamation point at the end of Panic as a joke, and they said in an interview at the time of the, that it was just kind of a, a throwaway joke, and it became 
their official name uh, by the time they got signed to the record label. At the time, it kind of bugs me. <laughs> I know. I kind of hate it, but I kind of love it at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it's fucking. It's so terrible. <laughs> but it, I think it, I, there's something. There's a quote I always heard that always stuck with me, and it was from the Family Values tour, like VHS. Um, and it's um, one of the guitarists from Corn is talking about like Corn's a fucking terrible name. We made the name cool. Like it's, and I I think about that with every band name. Like when you were talking about the Pet Salamander or whatever, it's like that would have been a cool name if they stuck with it because the band makes a band name cool. Yeah. It's not like a, a cool band right. like, is cool because of their band name. Um, unless you're O'Killy Do'Killy or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Then, <laughs> then you know it's a joke, but still, uh, I think great bands make great band names. For so. sure. At the time of their signing, all the band members were still in high school, with the exception of Ross, who was forced to leave the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. UNLV. Mm. There's no band's origin without getting someone getting kicked out of college. That's how Yellow Card got started. <laughs> Upon its release, to favor You Can't Sweat Out became a commercial success. Its second single, I Write Sins, Not Tragedies, peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. Feels like it would have been higher, but... Um, helping to bolster the band's album sales to 1.8 million in the U.S. by 2011, thus making it the group's best-selling release. Despite its sales, the album polarized music critics, with many praising the album's catchiness and other criticizing its perceived lack of creativity, which is wild to me. Uh, sounds like a Pitchfork review, if I've ever heard one. Uh, the band promoted the record with stents on the Nintendo Fusion Tour before its first headlining tour, the Nothing Rhymes with Circus Tour. In late 2015, it received R an RIAA double platinum certification for 2 million U.S. shipments. It then received a quadruple platinum certification in June 2023. So in eight years, it went from double platinum to quadruple platinum. It's just one of those albums I think is going to keep selling over time. Yeah, not bad for a bunch of high school kids. Wild. That's what's always blown me away is it's just a bunch of 18 year olds that, you know, that, that make this album. It, it happens time to time today, but, uh, but yeah, just like young high schoolers minus Ryan uh, Ross, which, you know, was kind of a high schooler himself, you know, I'm, I'm sure they were, they were maybe all young 19. together. Yeah. Maybe 19 when the album came out, but, but still the youth of this album is crazy. Yeah, it's always wild to see like when an when something is this big, and then you figure out how old they actually were. Like, I think Steven Tyler was like eighteen or nineteen when he wrote "Dream On" or something like. That. I think that's fucking crazy, and that's the yeah. best Aerosmith song in my opinion. Um, it, it only went downhill from there for them. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it's just it's wild to think about what I was doing at eighteen, nineteen, and it wasn't anywhere close to making a quadruple platinum album. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah. I was writing really bad poetry at the time. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's hard to criticize 18 and 19-year-olds what's in their diary, but it's just wild, man. You, they sound so mature that you, you want to criticize it like they're adults, but they're really just kids. Um, mm -hmm. I remember Say Anything's Is A Real Boy came out, and one of my ha friends handed me a copy and was like, this guy wrote this when he was 19. What do you think you'll be doing when you're 19? And that just haunted me from like the time I was 15 to forever. Like, he wrote the one of my favorite albums of all time when he's nineteen. What am I doing? You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not thinking yeah. about writing albums at no. nineteen. <laughs> yeah. 
I was thinking about how I can get a yeah. I was thinking about how I get a case of beer. (laughs) (laughs) Which gas station's gonna sell to me today? Yeah, Yeah, like I gotta get a case of beer by the end of the weekend. (laughs) It's like how how am I thinking about it? How am I gonna get these cobras and these these menthols by by Friday? (laughs) It's amazing though. It it shows like the there's dedication behind it. You know, Mm -hmm. you know people join people start bands in high school. You know, across the world and. You know, some of them are just, you know, stick to Pet Salamander, Blink-182 cover <laughs> bands. But, uh, but yeah, these guys really did it. They they really succeeded with making this album. And really how young they were. putting yourself out there, like, I'm going to send, send this to Pete Wentz. Never in my days would I think I have something creative enough to send it to Pete Wentz. Which was probably a dream to them. And it was, you know, if they were older, they might not have did it. They might have been too scared to do it. But, yeah. you know, being young and dumb and... You know, just let's just send this to Fallout Boy, and it <laughs> and it works. Okay, you guys ready to get into the album? I think so. Okay, so, I am. So, so long, thirteen track album, by the way, along with half an hour, forty minute, forty minute album. It, forty minutes, uh, thirteen songs, one intro, one intermission, which you could probably do without an intermission, but the intermission kind of splits the album in half, so it's kind of kind of jumps themes yeah past yeah. intermission but but yeah well, on, on the longer end for 13 songs well introduction track one is just exactly what you think it's gonna be I, it's like the little fm radio trying to like find where you're gonna be on the album and i i kind of like the fm radio it is cool it, it has a so i i translated it. there was like a polish excerpt of i don't know if it's like a german something i I don't know but it it translates to what they're speaking in polish they say the germans met with wide publicity in in themselves so i'm still trying to translate it myself what what does it mean who knows knows? (laughs) are they talking about nazi germany um you know meeting with wide publicity in themselves could be just a random thing that they picked out you know, bands do that a lot and yeah. people try to dig into it and it's like yeah. ah, it's just the thing we thought sounded cool it's like yeah. it's like me thinking about dead skin on l- linoleum floor for about two hours <laughs> yesterday <laughs> i thought about it a lot <laughs> one of my favorite instances of that is from system of a down i think in chop suey the bridge he couldn't like Serge couldn't think of a bridge so um i forget who the producer was he's like take a book off the wall flip through it whatever you land on that's what'll be the bridge and it's it's a fucking incredible bridge it's, i saw that uh, on tiktok i think yeah that rick yeah, rubin unbelievable yeah rick rubin thank you i think it's a it's 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 just a cool story so don't don't, don't waste too much time on yeah it, yeah don't yeah there's a, oh this we don't know anybody that speaks polish just just throw it on the <laughs> intro yeah, yeah that's right that's right but yeah no i i i think I waver on the line of this kind of opening intro being trite and overdone and always being cool because I think I always enjoy it, but there are a lot of bands that that have done this in the past and a lot of albums that have done this in the past and to this day, I'm sure. Um, it's always cool, though. I think um, if you, you can't really do it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, I think unless it goes on for like four minutes, you know true, what I mean? But, true. Right. I remember even when we did... Um, bearings this year they did the the cassette like the cassette was like closing and going into the record um i i always like that kind of stuff it like it kind of transport you into a mindset and i think that's what this album is is like you're gonna live in panic's weird little fucking cirque du soleil world for the next 40 minutes 
Yeah. I hate that is a real boy is is always comparable. Yes. <laughs> for for us because we always talk about that album, but like how they just they're like talking in a car, I think, or or you know they're just talking about how the intro is going to be, and yeah, it's it. I think it's perfect for you know you're going to dive into this world with us. Yeah. Yeah. All right, track two. The only difference between martyrdom and suicide is press coverage, and I do not love all these track titles. Yeah, they're fucking awful. Yeah, um, they they definitely stole that from Fallout Boy, I believe. I think they kind of got the inspiration from Fallout Boy for doing the longer stuff, which I don't think Fallout Boy does incredibly often, but um, it, yeah, it's kind of cool on some of their tracks. But but yeah, little a uh, little hard to remember what your favorite song is on this album. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And usually they have word. nothing to do with the track, but I, th- yeah. um, I think this is the only time they do it. And I think it's like high school theater kids trying to prove their intellect. That's mm-hmm. the best way yeah. I can describe it. But yeah, yep. a minor blemish on some 17 year olds making good music. Um, I'm the narrator and this is just the prologue. I love that for our, our true opening track. It's kind of meta and self-aware. Like, this is just one story, and I'm telling it. So um, I love the speed in which we come out the gate. It's got a catchy hook, and we get some electro-pop for the post-chorus and at, or for the post-chorus after the second chorus. Uh, so the it's not like a traditional song, but it does have some like little fun elements to get you up and on your feet for the opening track. Yeah, I, I, I agree, man. It's just the kind of splash in, giving you no real time to think about what you're doing, especially after that intro. It's just like, oh, here's Panic at the Disco. Uh, and again, this chorus is iconic to me. It's not it's not as remem- like uh, memorable as some of the other stuff later in the album, but um, it's still really, really good. And I think for me, especially even listening to it now, like it's clear to me that Brennan Urie carries this album in this band. And I think as he goes, the band goes. Um, but I think there's a couple instances in this in this album on the front half where it's very obvious to me that this was made in 2005, and I think the instrumental break in the middle here is is one of those instances. Um, it just it's like that is a 2005 sound if I've ever heard one, and uh, it's not it's not bad. I like I like this song, um, but yeah, because the, 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 the instrumentals are fun, but it's very clear that Brendan Urie is the star here. Yeah, he's definitely what carries it on. Um, I know, I know the guitar player Ryan Ross was a big songwriter, and a lot of the songs are based on. You know, later we'll talk about some of his past. Um, a few of them talk about it, like his father's alcoholism is what the what underlies behind some of the songs. But he's definitely what carries it. Um, the song's kind of like it's also almost kind of shitting on like artists that pursue fame um you know kind of like hitting at like like hitting on like trophy boys trophy wives and you know all these things you get um just like getting the but it's it, but it's getting the audience get engaged with the snap 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 in the beginning like i love just jumping right into it on this song though um i, I think it's like a perfect introductory song to the album even to the band, you know, I, I would like to, if someone I think if someone wants to know Panic, you know, I'm showing them the hit I Write Sends. But this is a close one up there. That's like this is this is really Panic of the Disco right here. Mm-hmm. Especially vintage, like right out the gate, like 
that just like acoustic guitar. Good, good. No, no, do, do, yeah. do, do. Like, oh, man. Very catchy. Track three, London Beckons songs about money written by machines. Oh, also, real quick before I didn't mean to cut you off, but no. so the alternative press magazine, they they were doing like an article back before this album came out. And I don't know if you saw I was on the same Wikipedia article as you reading last night, but they talked about how I think they were in the studio for like 12 to 15 weeks with like no days off. They were just spending like 14 hours a day. And I think they reached out to him like during that time when they were kind of finalizing the album. They reached out for a song list and it was like working titles. So before the only difference between Martyrdom and Suicide's press coverage, it was called Applause. So <laughs> I kind of like applause a lot. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's way easier. So much better. Yeah, so I would love better. to tell people, yeah, my favorite my favorite panic song is Applause. Instead of yeah. trying to remember what it is. But uh but yeah, I'd like to say the name after every song we talk I about. I love that. Let's do that. How it compares. Because there's some yeah. I'm unsure of. Some of them make sense though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So well, that's what I like about vices and virtues. I think all songs have like, just like one word song titles. Um, yeah. Uh, that's how song titles should be. They should be memorable so you can talk about be, talk about them with people. It's not it's, it's not your either. art though. It's, it's these seventeen year old yeah. theater kids. It's so count. It's it's one of the things that still pisses me off about this album is just how pompous it is. Um, but that's okay. I mean, like I said, there's like you said, they're seventeen year old theater nerds trying to prove how smart they are, and exactly. I think there's a lot of that that comes through, especially in the front half of this album, which we'll we'll talk about here. And I'll just jump right into it. What the fuck is a webzine? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I feel like that's something that only existed for like two or three years. In the early 2000s, before Web 2.0 became a thing, um, I don't know what that is, but they say it a lot in this song. Um, I don't understand why in this song they felt like they had to defend themselves when they hadn't even dropped an album yet. I feel like again, that's that theater kid coming out. It's like I have to defend what I'm doing, even though nobody had anything to say about it to begin with. And I, I think bet, that's fine. It's, I bet you're, I bet you're wrong because I bet. They're like, they signed this band who has nothing to their name except three demos that they recorded in their room, and they just signed with Pete Wentz to this brand new record label? Like, fuck these sure. guys. Sure, but like, it, they're, this song is written like they've released four albums already. You know what I mean? And they're 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 facing like massive crit. It's like shut up, <laughs> you're, you're 17 years old. But again, I get it. I, I hated the world at 17 too, and I was like, I had to defend myself for being a poet. You know what I mean? It's like fuck you guys. I like writing poetry. Um, so but um, again, it became. It's more obvious to me than more than ever on this song that Brennan is the panic, and the rest of the band is the disco. <laughs> <laughs> um so it, it's uh I, but again i love the fading back into an old school radio for the pre-chorus kind of calling back to the intro um or like radio sound like not the actual radio but um a little slowdown always plays before a chorus it's it, it just gives better shape to the overall like phrasing of a song um but yeah i mean it's it's a little silly to me and lyrically, but I think overall this is a this is a good song. Like the front half of this album, I think, isn't my favorite. It gets way better towards the end, and uh, but it doesn't mean I don't like it. It's just kind of falters a little bit for me, like you said earlier, Dill. I got you. The the web so webzine is like a magazine on the web. Yeah, it makes sense. I've never heard that term before, and <laughs> yeah. I guess that was like big during two thousand five. But 
Um, but yeah, they do uh, they do reference it a lot. It is odd that, that they hit on the music industry so much because um, this one's like kind of like the last one was shitting on artists like pursuing fame and and money and everything. And this one's like kind of shitting on music critics and you know and how they are pushing a narrative with you know new bands that arise. It's like uh, what's what's the line um, like make us hit, make us make us it, make us make a scene if not shrug your shoulders or whatever, however the line goes. But um, yeah, I don't know if they're, it's weird that they haven't, they'd never even played a live show. And then they're, they're doing this, you know, like I, I was around the industry enough in Nashville for three years to kind of see, I had friends that were making it and, you know, signing deals and, and doing the thing. And, you know, they signed the deals and they, they get all tatted up and they got to get, you know, the new haircut and they're getting dolled up and, you know, um, I wouldn't name names, but there's, you know, there's people that are going to get dropped soon. Um, and that's just kind of how the industry is, but I don't know if it's someone that's like, it almost makes you think like Pete Wentz is relaying like, Hey, why don't you guys be the, <laughs> why don't you guys be the scapegoat on this? And yeah. <laughs> think about the music I don't know. I don't know. It, it is kind of odd with them being so new to the industry and then, hitting on this but uh other than that i do love the song it's it's catchy it's it's yeah. vintage panic of the disco um like the theme switches in the song like stylistically are pretty cool kind of fallout boyish so yeah it it's kind of my cup of tea so i, I like this song yeah i think i remember how sensitive i was at 17 there was this website where you could go on and it was like um a bl- it, it was like um a message board for football. And so all these grown adults are going in talking shit about these high school football players. Number 15 can go to hell. He shouldn't even be playing starting offense. And I would just read it and be like, fuck these guys. Who are these fucking burnouts commenting on my blog? Like I'd had a good week and like it would get me so razzed up. So I think even one comment could inspire an entire song. Yeah, dude, what was that website called? I remember that now. It was Yappy, and it is yep. still alive and well. Yeah. Yeah. And I have and I have an active membership on there. Oh god. Like the, Be like the guy. Talk. Perpetuate the cycle, I, Cody. But it, yeah, if you guys could probably guess, I'm the meme guy on there. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Like like, you know, coaching job opens up. Bring Belichick. He's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh just a bunch of old guys talking about a bunch of 16 year olds it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of cringe yeah a lot of cringe but then picture on that the on a bigger scale you know like right. a 40 year old blogger you've been reading alternative press since you were 12 years old and suddenly you're an alternative press and it's like why are they signing these fucking ass clowns from las vegas and they're right. like you know what we're gonna write a song called luck and london beckon songs about money written by machines how about right. that that's our <laughs> rebuttal <laughs> Not everybody is an artist, but everybody is a critic. Yes, so that's yeah. true. That's where it comes from. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not as high on this track. Um, sometimes on this album specifically, it just gets like too wordy, and I feel like it loses momentum. It's mm-hmm. like Ryan Ross would probably be better suited to sing these songs because like they're his lyrics, they're in his head. But you got someone with the talent of Brendan Urie trying to like read Shakespeare. Just doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's fair. What was the yeah. original name of this track? Original name of this one was NYC. So, yeah. yeah. 
attacking the masses, I guess. It, it makes sense. Kevin loves brevity. <laughs> Kevin loves brevity. <laughs> I um, love brevity in my song titles, not necessarily my songs. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nails for Breakfast, Tax for Snacks is track four. Um, and I like to think of a time when someone would put Brendan Urie on autotune, and that time was 2005. But he was also a literal child, and you said he recorded every day for 15 days, so maybe they just couldn't get his vocals right, and they were like, let's auto-tune it a little bit. Or maybe it was maybe. a stylistic choice. I don't really know. It's just the verses, though, which is kind of odd. I don't I don't know if they're like trying to get like a, like another perspective, if they're trying to use him as someone else telling someone about you know the alcoholism and where it's like leading this person or or what but yeah it's kind of odd that it's just the verses yeah and i think it works it makes it a little bouncy and i like yeah. like a catchy mid-tempo track four you know yeah this is the first time where like the other members of the band really stood out to me specifically the drums like the pattern on the drums is super cool um i love whenever i hear a, a weird drum pattern like Okay, this is weird, but it's definitely not a, a different time signature. It's always ends up being like four four, but it's always fun to try and like figure it out for yourself. Like count along, like okay, this is still a four four, even though it sounds weird. Um, I always find that interesting whenever I can find that in a uh, an album or a song. Um, it, the song is just okay, like uh, around that. But I, I really do love the drumming in this song, and I think this is a perfectly normal song title. Six words, that's not that bad. Still has a comma in it. So, but we're getting better. This starts a string of fairly normal song titles, though. So, um, but yeah, as with the song, um, I think Brendan was kind of flat in this. I think the, the auto tune didn't do much for me. Um, so, I think the song ended up kind of flat for me as well. So, uh, but again, not terrible, just not my cup of tea. Uh, and again, I think I, I, now that I've listened to this album a bunch this week, like I know what's coming. So, I'm not trying to be super down on these these first songs yeah i don't love the auto tune i just think it's not it's not very tight you know i i feel like if they did this song now it would be a lot tighter and the auto tune was would be a little bit more cooler but i still like the song and yeah the title is kind of dope it's kind of like a metal it could be like a metal you know um data remember-esque um yeah title like I, i don't know it's uh, it's yeah it is one of the cooler ones on the album um but yeah i don't know auto tune is just hit or miss it's like uh, i love it uh, i hate it i don't know yeah yeah uh what was the original name for this track this one was just called nails so i I, th- I think they improved it <laughs> yeah i think i think this is think the, so one too. of the ones that is better than the original yeah, tax for snacks is, is so and that should have just been the title is tax for snacks. Yeah, that yeah, would have been yeah. fucking great. It's a great band name too. It is. It is. <laughs> dibs. Very cool band name. <laughs> I got so many dibs on band names. Uh it'd be a like a kids bop metal yeah. band name. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like a baby metal. <laughs> baby metal. <laughs> Dude, I fucking I hate baby metal. I know people love them, but I hate them. Hmm. So anyway. <laughs> Not this band, not this genre. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, track five is Kamisato. Um, what is the dead skin on linoleum floor? It's rhetorical because I don't think anyone knows. Um, you can't take the fight, take the fight from the kid. That's another like nonsensical phrase that I was like, what is he saying here? Um, I don't think I was high enough to really comprehend this song. Um, but it's a dancey track that is the 
brand of panic that I don't necessarily love, but it sure fits the theme of the album. Yeah, so Kamisato, uh, it me so it basically translates to like um, it's used in the military as a tactic, like in ambushing an enemy in their sleep. That's what Kamisato means. So um, could be usually at night, but could be just them, you know, a guard taking a nap and <laughs> ambushing them. Uh, this this is another one of uh, another song about Ross Ross's dad. Um, it's, there's kind of a theme of this album where it's kind of grouped in twos. You know what I mean? Um, like, uh, like the only difference and London were kind of shitting on artists and critics together. Um, the last two nails and, and Kamisato are, are both about Ross's, you know, his dad's alcoholism, which is, you know, as like, uh, as someone that's as old as us, like it's, it might not be a huge deal now, but maybe as an 18 year old, it's kind of a kind of detrimental to a, to a, a teenager. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that you don't really hear a lot of songs that have those underlying um, meanings to them about your father's alcoholism playing a role, but, uh, but this one does. Uh, I love the, uh, I really love the intro of this song with the, with the, like the synth keys. It's, it's, it's very cool to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do like this song a lot. Yeah, I, I love that out that intro too, and it it doesn't come back near enough for me. It comes back a little bit later in the song, but it's buried in the bed a little bit. Um, I think again, but again, that that noise is so two thousand five that it like hurt my brain to experience this again because it made me think of the back end of my senior year and the front end of my freshman year in college. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, that was so fucking long ago for me. It's like, uh, but I still remember it vividly. Like it happened yesterday. Um, but yeah, I think Yuri's back on his shit a little bit here. Um, and uh, I'm in love with like the second chorus that introduced like those, what, I, don't, I don't know what else to describe other than space sounds. Um, I feel like we hit that roadblock a quite a fit, quite a bit where it's like this is just a space. Song. Yeah, yeah. If you don't they know, turn, what that yeah, means, they I'm they sorry. turn the MIDI to to space and it's all the weird alien sounds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that is. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I, I think I, I I differ a little bit on, with you guys on the or at least Dill, where it's like I think it took what was a pretty standard Panic at the Disco song and made it fun and did enough different stuff. And I, I think a lot of my my critiques, especially at the time of emo music, was that it all kind of sounds the same after a while. And I think this does a good enough job of keeping that monotony from creeping in on this album. I think this album gets close to that line, but never really gets there for me. And I, I think, obviously, I've softened on that stance a little bit. And I've, I've got a more mature musical ear to understand, like, the nuances and stuff. But... Um, I like nuances and stuff as I'm talking about my <laughs> matured palate. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, I think it does a, a bun, enough cool little, little tiny things um, to kind of break up the monotony for me. Yeah. So. What was the name of that track, Cody? That one was, let's see, that was number what? Five. Yep. So that was, mm -hmm. that one was called relax, which no, it does not. Become <laughs> yeah. Sado for sure. Yeah. Guerrilla Warfare would have worked too. Yeah. I still think I still think Kamisato's better. Guerrilla cool. Warfare is like a hardcore, cool. it's like a hardcore punk album name. True. True. Like, that's something Highway Sniper would use as a <laughs> <laughs> 
How dare you say their yes. name? They're yes. listening. <laughs> All right. They are listening. Track six, Time to Dance. Oh, boys. Uh, when I say shotgun, you say wedding. Yes. Oh, man. That, yes. I forgot I that how part. much I love it, it that. It kind of skips out a little bit. Yeah, I love that part. And it foreshadows track nine and ten really well. Um, the bridge at the end of this the bridge and the end of this track really make this for me. It was like that. I know intermission's kind of the, the halfway through the album, but the, as soon as we hit that bridge, I am in love with the rest of this album. Like mm-hmm. I, I have my falters in the first five tracks, but once we hit this part, it's like the rest of the album is just smooth emo sailing. Yeah, man. Um, I feel like Brennan or whoever wrote this song had a summer where they went to just like one too many out went to one too many weddings. <laughs> so because this is all very again, this I write sins. It's like weddings are shitty. And this is the beginning of that theme. Um, but I think everything here is either a metaphor or a turn of phrase, and I really like it. Um especially the walls line the bull or the walls line the bullet holes or something whatever whatever it is the beginning of the song i think that's a super cool like visual metaphor to think about uh but again i think you've touched on it a bunch already bill where this feels like that fucking dork in high school that pretends to be smart just so they can be snobby like it's that one guy who can't really do anything well he's not like one of the gifted and talented kids so he's not like super smart He's not in any advanced placement classes. He's not good at sports. He doesn't have a good voice, so he can't do show choir or <laughs> be in a stage plays. He's just that dork that doesn't have a space to be, so he's just an asshole. Um, that's kind of what the lyrics in this whole, like especially the first half of this album make me think of, but I love this song. This song's fucking great. Um, it's just I had to get that jab in there somewhere because I knew I had to get it in somewhere, and I feel like this is as good a place as anywhere. But Ryan Ross a, wasn't I, even good enough to be the lead singer of his own band, and then he got kicked <laughs> out, and Panic got bigger. <laughs> that's, a, that's a perfect analogy, really. Yeah, it is. It is. He was that fucking dork, man. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really do love this song. I think it's 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 uh, it sets up the next half of the album really well. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, this is like my intermission track, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, you could have moved the intermission probably, yeah, right around this song. Um, you know, probably probably change lying to the, the second half, but or, or this song to the second half. Um, but yeah, but like this, this also plays into the theater nerds, you know, doing another song. It they they pulled from an old like an old book on some of the ideas of this um, pulling it up. It was a book called invisible monsters in which a transgender woman named Brandy is murdered by and at a fellow models wedding. So they, yeah, they had some kind of weird fascination with weddings at this time and, and books with them and weird murders and, <laughs> and weddings. Um, the, the song title is, it comes from a Bible quote on uh Mm, I'm not the best uh, Bible guy. Ecclesiastes, is that right? Yeah, yep. sounds right. Yeah, Ecclesiastes three two, a time to be born and a time to dance, which uh, pretty cool, pretty cool, uh, pretty cool little verse there. But yeah. uh, on the uh, their working title for that was time to dance. So they already had that set in stone. Man, nice. Knew they got it right. Got it in one. Yeah. Yep. They did. <laughs> They're like, this is three words. Kevin Carter will approve. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. the song before was relax, and they're like, we got to change that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's it called to like ambush somebody at night? Kamisato? I don't know. Make, we'll make people Google it in twenty years. I, every time we say Kamisato, I can't think. I can't help but think of like the forty-five-year-old country dad who would say Kamisato. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's just I don't know why. It's just I feel like that. There, there's a guy out there that only says it like that. Yeah, like Chipol- yeah. the guy that says Chipotle on un- unironic. Yeah, Tarjay. <laughs> yeah, some Toyota Cami Sados. <laughs> uh, track seven. Lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking off her clothes. And I don't mind this track title at all, boys. I love it. I'm going to say it. I think this is the track of the, the album. This is my favorite. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It's hard to beat a track like this. And I hate to call it iconic, but. We're talking about an emo album 18 years after its release, so I'm going to call it iconic. The chorus gets me hype. Testosterone boys and Harlequin girls, and we really start playing into the Cirque du Soleil shit more. It's just a standout track that leads us into the second half, into the album, with just like this big whoosh. Like, I can't say enough good things about this song, and anyone that's heard it can remember it. It's just, for being so wordy, it's such an earworm. Yes, I, I love this song. Um, there's a gem on YouTube from uh, my first year of college. Um, when I went off to Ohio Northern, I had a good buddy. Shout out Fred Tucker, if he's out there. But he, uh, me and him were good friends. And he, and he brought up, he, he was a singer and plays keys and stuff. And it was like, somehow this album got brought up in, in the conversation. And he was like, we should like, we should do a cover song. And we sang this song and like did a YouTube video of it and put it on YouTube. So it's somewhere floating out there. I'd have to find it. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, dude, I, I absolutely love this song. I don't, have you guys seen the music video though? I do not love the music video. It's, (laughs) it's one of those very artsy fartsy weird. Like it's, it's a bunch of people walking through the street with fish tanks on their heads and I have seen that. Yes. Yeah. I was about to say, once I said it, it had to ring a bell somewhere, yes. but very odd. Um, which I think, um, but it's better if you do. I feel like that music video is so fitting, but, uh, but yeah, like it's, it's old. This, the older brother of, of that song is, yeah, the music video just, I don't know. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't make, make much sense. Um, Still don't know where it came from, but uh, I love this song. It's it's kind of rappy, you know. They kind of he kind of raps a little bit in the in the verses. It's like sexy fun, you know. It's super cool. I I love this. Yeah, it, it is iconic. I agree. Yeah, I mean, you get you hear. Let's get these teen heartbeats <laughs> beating faster, faster. <laughs> it's fucking great, dude. Yes. Um, it, it's just I think this is where the part of the album where Brandon starts to play with his lyrical phrasing quite a bit more. And he shapes the songs in such a more interesting way where he, he pauses in the middle of in sentences or gets really quiet and then explodes into like something. And that it is just like that beginning of that chorus is just so fucking good. And it's, it sounds like it's easy to do, but even me just trying to speak it, it was hard to do it in that same exact cadence. I got more weird, so a better that, touch. <laughs> better a better fuck yeah like, dude and then like going that like sexy like 
dive bar-y to just like soaring chorus dude you're so right yeah. like that's it, what it, makes dropping, it so fun yeah dropping the band out for that too is just ah, oh, it's chef's kiss yes um it's the just subtle it, little it guitar just, in the verses yeah, is, is super yeah. cool like the palm muting it, yeah i love a good palm mute man no don't get me started yes. on that shit um but yeah this is one of the main reasons they found mainstream appeal i think i think this song transcends time and i think that's this will sound good 40 years from now would have sounded good 40 years ago right i think this would have had success no matter when it came out and i think that's the hallmark of a true classic song um but again this is such a self-indulgent song lyrically and i love the line you think i'd let you ruin this chorus like this fucker knew this song was gonna yes yes and it's it's like it's it's so it's it's the most self-indulgent moment in a very self-indulgent song but i think i like it i think that's what being emo was it was just like these guys were just self-indulgent like goth circus guys and i think that's kind of cool in in hindsight um because they were so committed to it it's the same thing i have with um what's the other the other ones the black parade guys my chemical romance yeah they were they were so committed to that bit that it became cool even though on the surface it was pretty dorky and stupid i think because they became so committed to it especially on the back half of this album um it's it becomes cool again you know it's it's um i really really think this song sets the tone for the rest of the album so in the band i think you know yeah 100 100 yeah that uh that i think i just think of like the songwriter perspective like you know it, it's probably different for everyone but most of the time you go in and write the chorus or the verse first and you know mm-hmm. they probably had both of those already done and they were like oh my god this 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 song fucks like you know, they knew, I knew that like they had to be so hyped like writing this song, and they just had to put that line in the second verse. Like, yeah, yeah, like, and they they knew they struck gold when when they wrote that. <laughs> the fact that you can write such a like, I think that was the appeal of like emo songs. Like, you can write this song, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be a like a dagger into someone's chest, and they have no way to rebuttal. Because guess what? You're not signed right. to Decadence Records, right? Yeah, <laughs> get signed to a major yeah, like- record label, and then you can rebuttal. And like Pete Wentz is our bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He came to my band practice when I was in high school and signed <laughs> us immediately. Oh, um, you guys want to hear that working title? Yes. yes. Sweat. Nah. <laughs> Yikes! Good nah. thing they improved it. That, yeah, that sounds like I a retro pop song. Yep. I'm gonna make you sweat. Something with that kind of bounce <laughs> yes. to it. <laughs> Definitely a club hit. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're on to track eight. We're talking about intermission. It'll be a quick one. Um, and I just felt like no, it well, was. Well, I fucking hate. I, this is the one I fucking hate. I fucking hate this intermission. Okay. Wow. I'm glad you fucking wow. hate this. Yeah, I don't. I don't love it. See, I love it, y'all. I love it. Let me defend it. I don't love it, but I do like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's the defense. I think at this point it's been it's been feeling like a Broadway musical and it's I think mentally like you know this is the switch into the back half of the album. It's got this like a little electro beat that's from 2005 that I'm sure that's why Kevin hates it. But I think the FM radio tuning comes back towards the end and we get that like 1920s piano with the mid-Atlantic uh accent and it kind of was just like 
okay, this album is about to turn turn back the clock a little bit in terms of like imagery they use and a lot of like I don't know, just the sound they use. It's a lot more piano heavy. I th- I I I think the intermission. The more I thought about, it, the more I liked it. So yeah, I'll, I'll just re- go ahead, Cody. Go ahead. I was I was just gonna say I just think it's kind of cliche, um, you know, like it is kind of them making a statement like this album is gonna make a change, like you know, it's it's about to change over to the, um, like the piano kind of, uh, Cirque du Soleil kind of change up that they do with with a lot of these songs coming up, um, and they have that that weird excerpt from something, you know, pretty much saying like this is. We're unable to continue our broadcast of dance music. Like, here's our piano interlude. Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of, I think it was too long. It was just, yes. yeah, yeah, just kind of cliche. I don't know. 100%. I'll just read my notes word for word so you can get my whole stream of conscience here. Let's hear it. Uh, point A, fuck you. Point B, it fucks though. I'm not going to lie. Point C, it's just self indulgent with the piano. Um, it's my turn to complain about the concept. We get it. You're a sad circus, boys. We don't need a harpsichord because that's a harpsichord. That's that weird little 1920s piano you were talking about. It's yeah. a fucking harpsichord. That's where that Baroque pop comes from, I guess. It's just like, like I don't. we don't fucking need a harpsichord. Right. Um, so point B, if it had ended after the voice over cut in, it would have been much better. Um, it would have even flowed better with the next song because the way it stands, it's just like a jump cut. It, it, it doesn't flow in a musical sense it's just it's 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 just a strange transition i think if you would cut it off before you get to that like piano harpsichord part it would have flowed much better um and it has the audacity the audacity to mirror a day in the life by the beatles at the end too which with that like huge like uh crescendo and the like random chorus and the day in the life is maybe my favorite beatles song um it's so good because they use that kind of random orchestra crescendo to signal a really cool switch in the song. It goes from uh, John Lennon to Paul McCartney or vice versa, one of the two. And it's completely different styles of verses, but it all works within that song. It's a beautiful, it's a masterpiece of a song and they, they, it falters so hard at the end of this intermission, because again, it doesn't lead into the next song. Well, I think if you had switched the order of I Write Sins or just take this next one out and put I Write Sins after this, that would have been a fucking great transition. But as it stands, this intermission fails at doing its job effectively. I think, yeah, it signals a switch in this, the, the tonality of the album. But it, it, it's, I think the main problem with it is that, that it's too long and they were too in love with their own concept, I think, at, at this point. So it just sucks. Oh. It, yeah (laughs) Yeah, it sucks (laughs) so the working title for that was interlude so i think it kind of says a little something that they're like well it's not technically an interlude or it's more of like an inter it it definitely is more of an intermission like taking a break from the album is basically what oh no or just skip this shit and play the next song yeah just just skip it It, it's it's not it's not it doesn't it, all it does is take me out of the album and honestly like i like the separate parts of it like if it was just one or the other i think it would work fine or if you switch up the album order a little bit it would have worked fine but i think as it is it's it, it's just i don't know it's too i don't want to beat a dead horse here let's uh let's move on <laughs> you spent more time bitching about the interlude more than the the track is in length itself 
That's fine. It's it's it's, it's it barely. It's too fucking long. It's only two minutes long, Kevin. Yeah, a Lorna be... Shore song is nine words long. Looked it up while we were gone, and fine. It's about fifteen minutes long. That's fine. That that's that's they don't present it as a fucking intermission in a album. They they you know what you're getting there. Yeah, so a it's, two you're, minute you're intermission. Gonna... Anyway, anyway, we're Apple's not talking about Lorna Shore. But... <laughs> Samey same. Lorna Shore and Panic at the Disco. Completely different. <laughs> okay, track nine. But it's better if you do. And boys, 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 boys. It's another one. Another one. Another banger. <laughs> um, just a soul, a cool sounding song about hanging out at a strip joint. Like, I can't think of a cooler song about strip joints. Um, it's just piano driven a rock jam that is so needed. And Brennan's vocals finally get to shine. And then the snare hits after the second chorus make me want to have a breakdown. I know that's not this band. I know that's not their genre. But that like, like a breakdown after that would have been yeah. so fucking dope. Um, but it's not the band or the album. And the fade out into sins is so underrated that I feel like it's it's they should push these two songs together to really, for people to really get that point home when they listen to I write sense, I think. Yeah. Th- this is where I think it's a little odd. And so this is basically like a continuation of, of lying, you know, like lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off, but it's better if you do. So like, it's a continuation of that. And then it transitions into I write sins, but we still have the intermission between the two, like the continuation of titles. So like, it's it's odd to me um why they decided to do that um and i i love this song too but it's still like the kind of we gotta we gotta think back to 2005 like if if we can't really rate this song as like a like a 2020 banger but like for what the song is it's a great song but like now if it were to come out now like i'm thinking like uh the guy doesn't really want to be there like i don't want to I don't want to hear a guy like bitching about being at a strip club, you know, (laughs) it's, uh, yeah, it just kind of lays off a little, I don't know. Like he's just a little lazy, but I, I absolutely love this song. The the way that he describes the strip club is, is the imagery is, is awesome. I think, um, I found a, I found where Brendan said in an interview, which is, which is really cool. So after this album came out and this single was out, the first time he ever went to a strip club, he ran into a girl he used to know from elementary school that was stripping and she came out to this song. So this was like one of her dance songs. Oh yeah. I really want to know more. I got to know more about this man. Like (laughs) did she know like, Oh, I went to school with this guy. I got to make this my song. Like absolutely. She knew she, she told all the girls in the back room. Like I went to school with this guy. For sure. Hopefully he comes in and hears me doing it one day and he'll take me home and we'll be happily ever after. Yeah. You know? And he does. And those... She's like, yeah, she's like, he's here. Brendan's here for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, that's a weird reversal of power dynamics in a strip club. It's yeah. <laughs> it's just, the guy has all the power in that situation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I've, I've, I mean, it most, it, well, what else is kind of odd is it's mostly Nickelback and, <laughs> That kind of stuff in strip clubs. Death Leopard. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Death Leopard. Bo- it's got to be, 
Yeah, this has got to be one of those like masquerade ones yeah. for this song. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is down in Nolans where they're yeah. playing this one. Did it transition to her next song, I Write Sins? Was that the, <laughs> they, did they play the whole song? <laughs> they have to. <laughs> Dude, you, you could strip you could strip to I Write Sins, I think. It's got a nice it's got a bouncy little beat to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Come to think of it, it even, does. Even, so. even the beginning, it's 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 almost like a it's not a waltz, but it sounds like a waltz, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a it's not a you know, it's not a waltz timing, but you could definitely strip, strip to it. Yeah, maybe that um, was her like her three her her three songs she did. Maybe she did lying, but it's better if you do. And then I write sins just back to back to back, and you know, told the Brendan story to everybody that came yeah, in. Yeah, all, right. all of her all of her stripper friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, I think this song this hasn't happened to me in a while. It's feel it's, it feels like a throwback to me, but it suffers a little bit from my hate for intermission. I think it's a great song. Um, but I, I, to your point, Cody, I did think about it in the context of 2005 and it made me want to listen to Coheed and Cambria because I think Coheed, it sounds very much like a Coheed song, but they would have brought a little extra ass it to does, the song yeah. that I think it needed, it needed a little bit more crunchiness to it that we get for the rest of the album. I think there would needed to be some more distortion going on here. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, again, I even talk about it in my notes. It's like after intermission, this song had to be an absolute banger. And I think it falls a little bit short for me. I think because I had that coheed stuck in my head a little too much and I was just expecting it to be a little bit more crunchy. Um, but it's not a bad song. I think it was fun. I think it's, uh, um, it's good, but, uh, but I also know what's coming down the pipeline, which is my favorite part of the album. The last, the last, from here on out, this album is absolutely genius to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. it's great. So, um, yeah, it, but it's better if you do is fine. It's it's it's. Uh, I think again, I'm I'm still got a little bit of a hangover from intermission. <laughs> but... What was the what was the original name for this track? Working title was Cabaret. I like it. So I kind of like Cabaret. Yeah, yeah. I, it's definitely it's definitely like uh, let's put a pin in on the title. Well. We'll think of something yeah, cooler. Yeah. Let's just call yeah. it Cabaret for now. Yeah. But the um, Cabaret song. Yeah. I write sins, not tragedies, boys. We made it. Track 10. Crazy that this is a track 10. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. A B-side. Technically a B-side. And it's, <laughs> Almost got tossed out. Um, it's the hit. <laughs> I can't say anything new about this song that hasn't been said a million times, but this is a song of a generation there's a reason you still hear it on the radio. There's a reason 13-year-old kids know the name or know the name of this song and they know every word to it. It's just such a fun song, man. And everyone remembers the music video that just plays off the lyrical content so well. And I don't know. I just think it's it is such a good representation of music at that time and it's such a good part of the album. It's probably track my second favorite track on the album maybe third, but it's still, and that's only because I've heard it so much in my life that maybe I would be more high on it if it wasn't on the radio all the time, but it's just, it's just a song of a generation. It really is iconic. Uh, I, it's kind of, it stands out between the other hits of that era too. You know, you think about blink and yellow card and all of them had their hits and stuff, but this one really stands out and it is a lot different than, than the rest of the big ones um you know it's 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 basically just a wedding gone wrong is what he's talking about and the poor groom's bride's a whore (laughs) (laughs) uh, i remember like you know it was one of those where 
it was so big on the radio and everything. Uh, haven't you people ever heard of closing the damn door? It was like that right. was like people saying it two different ways. You either you got the blank door or you got the goddamn door. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard the goddamn door. I, this was like one of those songs where you first hear the 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 explicit version yeah and it's like oh shit i gotta sing this a little bit differently now and <laughs> yeah. um Wait, even I, the, I have a friend remember the music that video? is uh, yeah when, when yeah saying that's horror. what i was gonna say that's what i was gonna say i have a friend that his wife always thought like she just now realized like in the past year that she did not know that it said whore there she thought it was poor groom's bride is a uh, shh was what she <laughs> thought it was and <laughs> it's it, and uh yeah she got a lot of shit for it but <laughs> she, should. Yeah, um, she should but yeah it was it was that big where the clean version was was just such a big such a big jammer that it was uh th- that the goddamn got left out and nobody really cared i think they actually started including it though on i think some stations actually just I, it might have been like the the steer heading for for the word goddamn on the radio because i feel like i do hear it more often now so um yeah dude a- absolutely just pinnacle of of this era yeah yeah I, it's i have nothing more to add to that it's an absolute yeah. masterpiece of a song it's uh it's it's odd because in the context of the album like i know we've made a tonal switch but it's everything else everything from here on out is just elevated just a little bit more and i think you talked about it at the beginning in your facts still where they did a different song structure. And I think that's so apparent at the back end of this, this album, it just feels more grown up as far as the way the songs are structured, the way um, again, Brennan uh, just uses his vocal chops just way better at the the end here with the way he's able to be more staccato with what he's doing, or just really thinking about phrasing more than he was in the beginning of the album. Um, the opening, the verses, the fu- the fucking chorus, man, it's all perfectly constructed. Um, this is the ass the last song needed because it's this song is pretty crunchy. Like especially the guitars are super crunchy. Um, it, it, the understood like I really love the opening of the song, um, and really the verses, like the understated string hits that kind of mirror the melody. Um, it's and then it, you explode into this chorus that just seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it still fits within the the context of the song. Um, again, I talk about, I've been talking about the shape of these songs quite a bit, but the shape of this song is so pleasing. It's got perfect rises and falls. It elongates where it needs to. It shortens where it needs to. Um, and surprise, surprise, it's the best song on the album for me. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, Dylan, but I think it deserves that. Yeah. That status of being overplayed, right? It's, it's like Stairway to Heaven. Like I, I could be a happy man and never listen to Stairway again, but I understand why it skips, gets played all the time. It's a yeah. fucking great song um yeah no that's it it's 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 easy it's i don't even want to say easily because i love the next song too but it's it's uh it's my it's favorite track but it, you know it, i don't think that anybody would be upset about me saying, well, <laughs> me saying that. So, something you touched on that i think is interesting like i think the first half was a lot of their early demos and their stuff they were working on in high school and I like to think that the back half of this album is stuff they worked on in the studio and they were with Matt Squire and they were working through these songs rather than already having been done and basically just recording them. So I think that's where the creativity and a lot of the sound changes come from in the back half is that maybe that first four or five tracks could have been like an EP 
and they could have really expanded that sound going into an album. But I think since they had no prior history, like they are putting out a debut album and they're going to put some of the songs they had on before and the back half is really where we all fall in love because it's exploring a sound that we hadn't really heard yet. Yeah. What was the original name for this song? So I write Sins Not Tragedies. This is another one of those titles that came from you know, one of their weird nerd books. Um, this came from a book called Shampoo Planet. There was a quote in that book that said, what I write are not sins, I write tragedies. So it, it based on that, the working title, <laughs> it was Flam Chorus. <laughs> Good thing he dug that obscure book up. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I don't know if that's a typo. I don't know if it's supposed to be Flame Chorus. It, there's I, no way that they're using the term flame back then you know in 05 yeah. i don't think so well, I, 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 isn't kinda, flam like a musical literary device or something I like that think so I, it uh, sounds like it could be I, I i'm not quite sure exactly um flam f-l-a-m one of the basic patterns of drumming consisting of a stroke preceded by a grace note so it has to do with uh yeah, the drumming pattern, I guess, of the chorus. So, yeah, maybe that's. I mean, uh, yeah, that's another one where they just put a pin in it. I guess. Yeah, that that I mean that sucks regardless of if it means anything or not. Yeah, so. play the yeah. one with the flam chorus. <laughs> yeah. that's, and that's next up on it. nine ninety six rock is flam chorus. <laughs> Man, I love the flam in that chorus. <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. Uh, okay, track eleven. I constantly thank God for Esteban, and you think. We just had the best song on the album, but we're and we're gonna come down after that because that's always what happens on records. No, hell no! Strike up the band, boys. That is strike up the band. Um, yes. The overwriting of lyrics come through a little bit here in the verses, um, but the chorus rocks so hard that no one cares. Who cares about verses? Not I. I say not I. Strike up the band is something I've been saying all week. It makes you feel like you're leading like a, a marching band or something. Yeah, man, I I, just, I don't even know what to describe this beat, the beginning of it. The only thing I can think of was like a jungle beat. <laughs> That's not entirely accurate, but it's got like that super bouncy, like almost kind of tribal feel to it. Um, and it just works after Sins. Um but then the, the, the slowdown for the verses also really works. It has like a similar shape to I Wrote Sins, Not Tragedies, or I Wrote Sins, Not Tragedies, and everything just works really well. Like, this feels like they're out in a New York subway. This feels like a, this feels like a street performance to me, but a really fucking good one. Um, and I think it, it, there's, there's much-needed restraint here so the artistry can kind of shine through, and I think that's what I mean by like a street performance. Like, it's a... Uh, um necessity brings out art artistic creativity and i think that is a cool thing to experience especially after the massive whatever you want to call the massive flam course <laughs> flam course yeah um but it's a perfect follow-up track i think it does it's it's just different enough but it's also a fucking banger that it holds its own against I, um, sins and I think it just it really kind of glues the rest the back half of the album together because again like you said Dale, it's super easy to have like a letdown track or a palate cleanser after a song like that which would be fine and I would like it um, 
but they decided to say fuck that let's just go for something better we even get a little fucking guitar solo we haven't had a guitar solo all album um yeah give the band their flowers on this one because this was a as much problem as as many problems as i've had with the album construction thus far in like the middle half of this album this was again chef's kisses yeah i too was excited to hear a guitar solo (laughs) finally in this one um so the title of this one, I constantly thank God for Esteban. That's that's referencing Esteban, the the guitar guy, um, <laughs> yeah. which that was like my first kind of like legit guitar was an Esteban. My grandpa gave it to me and was like, yeah, I bought it off an infomercial. And which is funny, <laughs> this, that's where this title came from was an infomercial for that. And I just thought it was like awesome that I got this Esteban guitar and it was pure dog shit. I mean, it's. You know, it's up there with like the urban guitars made by Keith Urban that they all sell these around Christmas time because they're cheap and they advertise it as better as, you know, all the all the high end guitars. But you Um, could stand on it. It was it was so well made. You could stand on it. You could stand on it. Exactly. (laughs) Every musician, every musician standing on their guitars. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Which is it's cool because like the song is like lyrically, it's like it's like shitting on hypocrites and, and liars and everything, but it's, but it's also kind of shitting on religion and it's, it, it, it almost kind of teeter totters with, uh, you know, it's using the title with Esteban, like being that kind of guy, like he was just a liar. And, you know, um, he said all these things about, you know, not only his guitars, but like himself, he was a liar. And, um, yeah, dude, lyrically, I, this is like one of my favorite songs lyrically, the strike up the band into the into the chorus is so hard hitting and uh yeah it's it's such a great follow up to to I write sins it it's fucking awesome there was there was five songs that were uh singles on this album and this wasn't one of them surprisingly i i thought it would be one of the five um there were yeah there were a few i didn't know that uh, i think there were two of them i didn't know that were singles um there's, there's before i write bad. sins was song 2 was uh, the only difference that was the first single and then 4 months later I write sins came out, which is yeah. surprising, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm surprised this wasn't a single to be honest. I thought it's catchy enough. It's good enough. There's something about hiding one of your best songs as a, as a deep cut though. I think that's yeah. always cool to me. I think it rewards people that actually listen to the album. That's again, especially in this day and age, sure. it's a lost art. Like people don't listen to full albums anymore. Yeah. Um, certainly not front to back. Um, so I, 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 as surprised as I am by that, I think it's a cool move to, they probably knew what they had. They're like, let's let's keep this as a treat for the fans. Yeah. And I think I think it may probably it makes it so much cooler when they play it live it if they play it live. So um, yeah, I love shit like that. Um, speak, before we move on, I was just got me thinking. Like, I missed that age where like we had liars on television constantly, like the Estebans and Miss Cleo is the one that always stands out for me. Miss Cleo, Cleo. Was my favorite. <laughs> Oh, me now for your free psychic. She wasn't even Jamaican. No. <laughs> yeah, just, so I think uh, there was fucking sex talk with Dr. Sue. Like I missed that era of, of, of TV. Anyway, quick sidebar, just to talk about how old I am and how much I missed the golden age of TV <laughs> where people would lie to you and make millions. Who was the guy they- that like uh, the big, uh, he like knew he would like pick your bets for you. You know what I'm talking about? I think he like wow. does something barstool now. He's like about who Stu Finer? What's his name? Stu Finer. Stu Finer? Yeah, Stu Finer. I think is I think yes. is his name. Yeah, that's who I think of. Like, yeah, crazy hothead guy. Like, 
those kind of personalities is what I miss. Yeah, man. Infomercials are a lost art, man. I miss fucking George Foreman grills to set it and forget it. Like, I'll never forget stuff like that. (laughs) Just put it on an angle. I've seen that that TikTok. (laughs) It's it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, What was the original name for that track? That one was just called Esteban. Sweet. They knew going in that, yeah, they had a hatred for him. Yeah, I think they they had to get a point across. I think there's a better song title in between the two where it's just thank God for Esteban because you get a slant rhyme in there. Um, yeah. It's, it's a little, it rolls off the tongue a little easier. Yeah, but that's just. I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> Track 12. There's a good reason these tables are numbered, honey. You just haven't thought of it yet. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. <laughs> it's it's be a, a compound. Movie. It's a compound sentence. <laughs> it's two complete thoughts. It's really two. Yeah, it's two sentences. <laughs> With a comma. Well, when I was typing it's it out, so... I guess I never realized the song title was that long. I was typing it out. I was like, "There's a good reason these tables aren't numbered yet, honey." Or numbered, honey. And I was like, "That's funny." And it was like comma. I'm like, "No way!" It keeps going. <laughs> yeah. um, Dude, I got so pissed when I was typing it out because, like, when I, I do it all, I do it all on my phone. So, like, I'll have a split screen going so I can see the this, the track title while I'm typing it into my notes. I had to completely click out of my notes and let the song scroll on Spotify so I could get the rest of it. It's like, God damn it, dude. I was on a roll typing out these song titles because I always do that first. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, I got so mad. I had to stop taking notes. I was like, I'll do the rest of this later. I knew I read, I knew I had something in my notes about that because this was like the one where they kind of said like, oh, Fallout Boy did it. That was cool. Like that, that's, this is fun. And they, this is one where they took it to the next level. Like they purposely made this one long and yeah, it, it is. I don't it's know if there, wild. there's, pro- is there a longer, t- have you guys seen a longer title than this? Is I'm there sure one there's out there? I there mean, has to be still, one that I've seen. I'm I sure think. there's plenty. There's to Dill's point. There's plenty of metal songs that have super long titles. Right. 16 so. words. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, I I felt like this track was probably the the coolest place they took us to in terms of vibe. Like, yeah, this this is the most Cirque du Soleil of all the tracks. But it just like it felt the most good, and maybe it's just because we're we're still buzzing from the last couple tracks. Um, I'm the new cancer. You are. I'm the new cancer. Never look better. You can't stand it. What a burn, man! Like, man, I I look so good. I'm a I'm a detriment to everyone around me and you can't stand how good I look. Like I just dress to the nines. I, I love the the visual and I love the lyrics, even though they're a little wordy, but it's, it's a minor criticism for, for the times of 2005. Yeah. yeah I don't, I, I, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. All right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't much to say, so I'll, I'll, I'll just get my stuff out of the way. Um, I fuck the song again. Fuck the song title, but it's a shame because I like this like swing feel that we get here. It's, it's super cool, um, and it's a type of pompous that I can buy into. Like, uh, kind of, you touched on it a little bit, um, but it's bringing something old into the present and making it awesome, especially with like the horn instrumental. Like, that's super cool, um, and I, yeah, I just really like this track. I think. It's it's very very different from the rest of the album, but I think that you'd need that towards the end of an album to kind of get your interest peaked again. So, yeah, this one to me is like the most fun of the album, the, the most fun song with like the yeah the horns, the trumpets, like 
instrumentals uh like the ragtime like piano ragtime that's is, what it is <laughs> yeah it's like a ragtime kind of piano in the background that uh yeah kind of like kind of gets you swinging uh lyrically it's it's like the most far-fetched of all of them kind of it's like a i, I think it was uh ryan ross that was like that brought the idea to this song it was you know he's just like lacing cigarettes and spiking drinks and like making it hell for this this one this one lady you know um i i in in hindsight i think the title is cool but it's way too fucking long yeah like like if if this was the idea like i think we should call it there's a good reason these tables are numbered honey you just haven't thought of it yet like that's a cool cool line but no man (laughs) not for the title say it with a mid-atlantic accent there's a good reason you, these tables aren't numbered, honey. You just haven't thought of it yet. Maybe it makes it a little cooler. Um, maybe they've got to have like a narrator before every song. That's true. To, yeah. to announce that. Which honestly, I think that would be kind of dope. I think if you're going to lean yeah. into like a circus caller vibe, and now we've got there's a good reason those tables are numbered, honey. But you just yeah, <laughs> you just haven't thought of it yet. I'm guessing you're you guys will probably. <laughs> I'm guessing you guys will probably like the the working title better. Um, it was just called Top Hats. Yeah, way better. You you know what yeah. you're getting. Yeah, and they say Top Hats in the song, so it yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay, we're at the last track. Build God, then we'll talk. Um, I remember this song specifically so much from junior high and like MySpace and like the peak of like the the cringy emo kids and wonder what a wonderful caricature of intimacy i think i sent it to you guys with the broken heart last night i that just yeah. transported me back in time <laughs> it was just on so many away messages and on the caption of so many like sad selfies um i think this is just a fun little ditty to send us on our way i wish we would have gotten a fade out with the fm radio messing around with it one more time uh, with the mid-Atlantic narrator again, but what can you do? You can't go back in time, but I I think if you're really going to phone it, if you're really going to go in on the FM radio stuff, especially at the beginning in the intermission and then not get it at the end, it was kind of disappointing, but who am I? I feel that, but they did follow the theme of prostitution and cheating in this song yeah, as well. Yeah, so, they did. They did. Yeah, they, they kind of kept it on par with everything. Um, I thought this was like one of the most creative tracks i mean it bounces all over the place it's switching up tempos it's switching up themes and and everything um another another odd music video as well it's it's like a mime doing sexual things on stage i i don't even i don't know it's it's another one of those odd memorable yeah definitely memorable but uh (laughs) but yeah (laughs) very odd this was one of the this was i think the last single of that they uh, released on the album. Um, so yeah, the, the first single came out in September 05 build God. Then we'll talk came out March 07. So it was a, it was a longstanding album. Wow. Like a year and a yeah. half after the album. Yeah. Wow. So you talking about the music video, Cody, have you guys watched uh, what we do in the shadows? Like the yes. whole series. So when they open the nightclub, they're trying to get to save it. And they invite a guy who can suck himself off. And they're like, there's a big build to it. And it lasts like 10 seconds. That's what the, just a, that. That's what I had in my mind. Uh, but it's interesting because I had an, I had a whole, I had a visual concept for this song for like 
while I was listening to it. And it was kind of set up like a stage play, like where you could see different lights turning on in the different hotel rooms for like the, the, the attorney, the, the quote unquote virgin, um, the, 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 con- the, the crooked cop, the constable that talks to the attorney on strictly business. Um, I think, you, I think that would be a really cool way to do it again. Um, I'm not an art director for, <laughs> but I, that's just the visualization I always had every time I listen to the song because there's great storytelling in the song. I think it's the best that they do for that is, is in storytelling. It, it almost reminds me of like uh, like Piano Man, like very Billy Joel esque, where it's just a, a scene in time, a very short amount of time, but you get like vivid descriptions of what's going on in that that specific. Uh, part of time um, and I, I always love stuff like that just good old-fashioned like musical storytelling um, it, again like you said Cody it's it's musically all over the place but in the best way um, like to whispering to exploding for dramatic effect um, I even don't hate the way he says caricature like it's it's fucking it's so stupid it's caricature it's so stupid yeah 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 but I don't even hate it because it fits with what they're doing throughout the entire song. And then the outro riffing on these are a few of my favorite things. Like, I don't know if you guys picked up, I picked up on it immediately. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like it's something, it's a, it's a, it's a melody that everybody knows. So using that for your outro, I think is super, is a super cool thing. And then flipping it to being your least favorite things. Um, is, it's just a really cool song, song writing choice. And, uh, yeah, I love this song. I love I love when a band hits their stride for like the last five songs of an album because it does what it's supposed to do. Like if this is a record, I flip it over to the B side and it's this much of a banger. I'm immediately going back up and flipping that back. Um, so in that in that respect, it's built very much like an old school record, which I, I think is a, again a lost art because people don't think about that as much anymore. So um, get your roses to the producer for that one. Um, yeah, fucking love it. Um, and I'll hop right into closing thoughts if you boys don't mind. Yeah, I just want to say that that's like the definition of an exclamation point, like on an album yeah. to me. Like, 100%. yeah, really. I also didn't know what he when I was younger listening to this album, I had no clue what he was saying when he said character. I, I did not know what word he was. Trying <laughs> to say. It took me a while, I mean, years until like I was able to like listen back to it. And I was like, what is he saying here? And go and pull up the lyrics. Did uh, you guys ever get on genius.com and like look at the annotations oh, yeah. for lyrics? So I pulled that one up. Like, there was uh, there was an annotation for the cello solo, like towards the end. If you just click on it, it says fucking sick ass cello solo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm I'm so in agreement on that. Hell yeah, a fucking sick ass cello solo for a long time cello was like my favorite instrument ever so i agree like cello the cello kicks ass um so yeah whoever whoever wrote that annotation i'm glad you right. left it there yeah You're right it's got 12 thumbs <laughs> yeah. up yeah. But, uh, of course it does. yeah it's great it's about to have 13 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah man it's again to talk about my like this album and like its completion I really, really like this album, despite it pissing me off at a fairly regular clip. Uh, I think that just has a lot to do with how old it is at this point. I've, I've matured musically uh, to a point where like, I can appreciate this where I wouldn't have appreciated it at all 19, 18 years ago. Um, but where it's still, it feels its age in some points. Um, but I think clearly they know what they were doing because 
so much of this album was spent defending themselves, right? Because they knew what they had and they knew uh, to your point, Dill, when I was, when you were rebutting me earlier, I think they knew that they had something here and that they were going to get a lot of shit for it. Um, and there are hints of genius throughout the entire album. Like, like we've talked about ad nauseum at this point, the back half of this album is killer. Um, again, that's how you get me to, that's how you get a guy like me who's going to be listening to this with a fairly critical ear because it's not my cup of tea. Um, that's how you get me to flip that record. That's how you get me to go back to the beginning and let me listen to that again. Maybe I missed something that um, I didn't hear the first time. And that's how, that's how you get, that's how you go what quadruple platinum. So uh, yeah, great, great first album, especially when you think about they were 18, 19 years old writing this shit. So. Yeah, man, I love this. It's like um, nine out of 10 for me, probably just, just some things here and there that, you know the intermission that's kind of dog shit in my eyes but (laughs) but yeah man freaking 18 year olds putting together an album like this slapping it together and still um you know i don't know where it roots from but still being able to shit on the masses a little bit shit on the critics and um talk about prostitution and uh, i mean you grow up in las vegas you're gonna see it you're gonna see it a lot exactly I agree, guys. I, I think it's it's such a cool debut album. It's just wild to think it's a debut album. It feels so mature and immature at the same time. So it feels I, like a sophomore album to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it and I think having a good producer like Matt Squire to help you navigate your debut album to give you that big, the big change in the second half. Because if 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 it was all the first half, we might not even be talking about it eighteen years later. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really cool. I think it's really interesting to have gotten to see it through a little more critical and hearing your guys' thoughts because it's one of those albums that everyone's like, I love I Write Sins. And, you know, we I, I, I haven't heard a whole lot of people talk about the album as a whole. So I'm, I'm glad we got to do it together. Yeah, it, it kind of takes a risk with that, you know, circus kind of feel to it as well. You know, the, the album artwork is kind of masquerade-ish and some of the songs, uh, you know, kind of reference the the cabarets and everything. It kind of takes a risk. And, and yeah, Matt Squire being as the great producer that he is, um, I think he kind of toyed a little bit with, it was almost like Fall Out Boy kind of toyed with it a little bit. And uh, Panic just went full swing. And, you know, this was where they hammered an album down. Mm-hmm. together so yeah they really hit the nail on the head with this yeah let me get let me get one last swing in yeah <laughs> before we go because uh a day in life is from sergeant pepper right where it's like a bunch of cutouts of famous figures what is this what is this album title it's cutouts <laughs> of famous figures <laughs> it's not as many <laughs> hey they're 18 years old they can still have inspiration that's, that's no i i get it <laughs> I think it's. I mean, it's it's great. I if you, it, I don't mind people copying the Beatles because why wouldn't you? They're great. Yeah. Um, especially Sgt. Pepper is a great album, and The Day in the Life is my favorite Beatles song, maybe. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to get that in there. I had to be the the contrarian of the group here. So I got another thing to say. The birth of <laughs> Brendan Urie. That like this just makes it worth it. Like he's one of my favorite vocalists of all time, especially yeah. like how he's improved over, you know, the the past decade almost two decades um i mean death of the bachelor is wicked I, his, yeah. his vocal range in that is unbelievable so even even that it's just you know introducing brendan yuri to the world you know that's 
that's worth it to me. Yeah, I agree. I, he's he's he is m- m- maybe I think probably the best vocalist of the last twenty years, just as far as skill set goes and his his tonality. He's super super clear and clean and but also knows how to play with his voice. Like he's got super great control and like you said, a huge range too. So um, he's one of those rare vocalists that I think only comes around every twenty or so years and. I'm just so so happy that this album got the success it did. So he didn't fall by the wayside. So we got more Brendan Urie in the, in the world. He was the narrator, and this was just the prologue. Boom! Got the last word in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was the that was the build god of uh, of the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Let's do songs of the show, Cody. We'll let you go first, my friend. Um, I did. Uh kind of basic with mine but uh bring me the horizon dropped a new one yesterday uh called kool-aid it's uh it's just you know vintage bring me the horizon you know the the super kind of electro metal ish kind of rock it's just i don't know it just fits their discography to me and uh yeah another one just to throw on the playlist I, really, yeah, I haven't listened to it yet, but I've I will, really I come will back around on them the last year or so. Yeah, I, I've been out on too. them for a while, and the the singles they've been releasing, and I they push back their album a little bit, um, but I think it's going to come out in March, maybe spring, something like that, early this year. And I'm just super excited to hear it because um, it's the most excited I've been about Bring Me the Horizon in ten years. So I love the pick. Bring Me the Horizon is a great band name too, by the way. Like I love that name. I love that name. Stole it from Jack Sparrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also uh, like it also looks good abbreviated. You know, it's one of those like metal rock bands that like abbreviates well. Mm-hmm. Like um, Bullet for My Valentine abbreviates yeah. very well. It's you know it fits yeah. those. System of Down is the best abbreviated band of yes. all time. So, <laughs> so bad, dude. Yeah, yeah. I listened to So Ad today. Oh fuck yeah. yeah. It's be a good day. Yeah, it's true. Um. The Panic at the Disco is not a good abbreviated name. It's, it's, no. I, I did it. Where did I do it in my notes? I because I look, I was looking at, at it while we were talking. Yeah, it's just like, what the fuck is that? I was, you oh, can't forget the exclamation point. Yeah, P exclamation point ATD. It's P A at D. Um, yeah. Um, so my song of the show is Who I Am by Alan Walker, uh, Putri Ariani, and Petter Elias. Um, just electro pop it's it's something that anytime i need to like i get a palate cleanser for myself i listen to something like this it's because it's it's not gonna blow you out of your seat but it is just super nice to listen to and like kind of just clean the slate of everything you have been listening to um again i think it's a great track but it's not again it's not gonna blow your socks off it's just a great electro pop ditty if you want to call it that it was fun yeah, fun. Yeah, palate cleansing is a good yeah a, a good term for it. I feel like I'm constantly searching for music, and then I'm always waiting on Kevin's picks to be you know some some crazy hard shit. But uh, yeah, this one was like it was like kind of calming, like a bre- breath of fresh air for a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's a cool tune. This is the interlude Kevin wanted all along. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I need. Just something to bring me back to level. You know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, my song of the show is Take Off by Gideon. Um, 
I found them because they're coming to Cincinnati here in the next couple months. And I was like, the poster was really cool. I think they're going to Legends in Cincinnati. And I was like, that looks cool. I'm going to listen to their music. And the first track I listened to from their new album that came out like June last year was this one. And it was like almost like a hard hard rock meets new metal. And I was just so into it, man. It, was, it felt like I'm entering my dad rock new metal era. Yeah, I think when you sent it to the group chat, you're like, "New Battle is back," and I'm like, "Should it be?" Because <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it should be. I have been listening to a lot of System of a Down recently and, and bands like that, um, so I think certain bits of it should. But um, it does kick ass. Like uh, I think I wrote in, the, in their response, it's uh, Mudvayne, Corn, and Fear Factory all kind of smushed into one with a breakdown. That breakdown kicks ass. It's great because it, I'm not expecting one necessarily for a song that sounds like this. Uh, so it's, it's like a modern new metal. It's like a new, new metal. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I, I dig the song. I don't really have much to say about it. It's, uh, it's as new metal as new metal comes to me. Yeah. So it rocks. Hell yeah. So we're, I'm good to buy us all tickets to go see him in March. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll pen, I'm penciling you guys. In. I don't know. I don't know what a new metal concert is like, so I don't know either. Metal. I don't know. Metal shows are fun. I don't know if a new metal show is going to be any fun. I it, speaking of new metal, I, the Head PE released a song <laughs> this this week, and I almost fired back with that because that, if you want to know what new metal sounds like, that is the new metaliest new metal I've ever heard in my life. Head PE. Um, wow. But I I didn't because it's see I always <laughs> liked like Fear Factory sounding new metal, so I Fear think Factory that's why I like getting. Is, in. Yeah, Fear Factory is awesome. So uh, you'll talk about like. Like raise hell head PE. Yeah, like 1994 head PE. Wow, yes. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard they, that name in forever. Yeah, you, neither had I, and they just popped up on my release radar. Yes, I'm like, what the fuck is this, wow. dude? <laughs> but I, I listened to it because it's head PE, and I was curious. And it's just, it's, uh, it's, it is what you expect it to be. It yeah. sounds like it's from 1994. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, Cody, thank you so much for coming on today, my friend. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, thank you guys for having me and talking about one of my favorite albums. I'm glad we get to talk about this one and yeah, just is this get the, the shit in general. Is this the first time we've had you on to do like an actual album review? Yeah, yeah, this is the I, first time for an actual like album pick. Yeah, I I, I like I, I think we need to have you back on, man. That was a lot of fun doing. Yeah, that. and I don't. Yeah, I know we've talked about doing it. We we've done interviews and then the Christmas episode. Yeah, but, um, Christmas this was, was fun. This was cool. I think. Again, I talk about it all the time, but that first episode you were on is still one of my favorites because we just ended up talking to just music towards yeah, the end of it. Yeah, it was super yeah, that was it was very intellectual. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was, we uh, we both made fun of Dill for not liking Eminem and Yeah. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it, was, it was great. My stance hasn't changed. It did change on the Beatles <laughs> though. Um Yeah, it did. But yeah, I think this kind of stemmed from just talking me and you have been talking about say anything a lot since they announced that twenty year reunion. Yeah, um, I'm gonna see him in Austin, Texas, in June. Oh wow! Yeah, the last Man, date of the tour. A, what do, what venue is that? Um, I'll have you to know? look it up. It's not I'm worth. Curious. Either any venue in Austin is gonna be awesome, though. So it's an amphitheater. So okay, yeah. yeah so it's probably whatever one's down there. But but yeah, guys, I would love to do this again. Any genre besides ska probably i don't I'm not sure. <laughs> come on man you're supposed yeah. to be my ska plug you know what i would love i would get on an episode 
for you to pick a ska album and I'll listen to it. And I think we just do a ska list or just a ska list. Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd rather you just force an album on me. Because, <laughs> dude, I can't think of five good ska songs. Maybe it's I'll awesome. just do like the top 10 essential ska songs. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do the legwork. But <laughs> thanks that again. Tempo, if, if I listen to that tempo like 10 to 15 times in a row, man, I don't know. I, I can only hear burp, 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 <laughs> so many times, dude. It's yes. it's how I feel as soon as spring comes, and I'm. Uh, you won't be able to stop me come March. The first day we get that's like fifty degrees. I'm gonna be like, it's scout time. <laughs> it's scout time. <laughs> but all right, skank it up. <laughs> skank yeah. it up. But uh, thanks for coming on again, Cody. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you. Um, next week we're doing Page Avenue with our buddy Jeremy Levine uh, from the Vinyl Countdown podcast. So he's going to have some vinyl facts for us. He's going to have a lot of cool stuff, but I'm really excited to talk about that one as well. Another emo classic. Cool. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Peace. Forgive our sins Forged at the pulpit with forked tongues Selling for sermons Cause I am A new wave gospel sharp And you'll be thy witness So gentlemen, if you're gonna preach For God's sakes Preach with conviction Strike up the band Whoa, the conductor is back at me Come, congregation, let's sing it like you mean it No, don't you get it, don't you get it now Don't you move
找寻。